This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast, where I'm sure we're going to have another upbeat edition of the podcast today. We could get used to these at the start of the season. Uh, of course, Everton uh, beat West Bromwich Albion 5-2 at Goodison Park at the weekend. And we are all here to discuss that. We're going to discuss a potential League Cup game against Fleetwood on Wednesday uh, and what, what's going to happen beyond that. Uh, I am your host today, Adam Jones, joined by Dave Prentice, Sam Carroll and new Echo recruit, Connor O'Neill. Connor, it's been your first day today. Have you enjoyed it? Yeah, it's been very good. It's, it's even better when the Blues are winning. And, you know, <laughs> Uh, 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 above the Reds as things stand so long may that continue oh. I hope I've some good luck across Yeah, it's such a shame that uh, Leicester on the last game of the weekend knocked us off the top of the table <laughs> so probably, probably enjoying seeing Everton sitting pretty at the top of the table but we'll take second place for now and we got to second place Preno thanks to what was a really comfortable win in the end uh, but it certainly wasn't a comfortable first half I have to say that much but uh, in the end, Everton played really, really well, didn't they? Thoroughly enjoyed it. It was. It, it's an actual, it's it's fun watching Everton again now, isn't it? It's just you know, it's, it's a real mood of optimism around the place. It's it's enjoyable. Okay, I get the fact that we can't physically be in the ground to you know sort of enjoy it in person, which takes the shine off it just a little bit. But actually seeing them produce football of that quality uh, is wonderful stuff. Now I'm going to throw the caveat in that yes, the first half an hour was a little worrying, a little dubious. Uh, West Brom looked a much better side than they actually are. Because, you know, as Carlo said, our balance wasn't right in the first half. We made one or two small errors, but, you know, small errors, you know, cost you in the Premier League these days. And I found ourselves, you know, having to come from behind. But the fact that we did so with such calmness and such assurance and with such class, I mean, you could spend the entire podcast talking about James Rodriguez and the quality of his passing and the the sumptuousness of his touch and that finish. I just loved that goal. It was just something else. So, you know, we always felt that we had the ability to shake off the, you know, the faults and the problems that were, you know, were in the game to actually come through and win. And we did, you know, okay, didn't play great, but you can't, you know, if you didn't play great and score five goals, you know, you haven't got a great deal to complain about. So yeah, like I say, a small caveat at the, uh, where we started the game wasn't great, but the way we finished, it was tremendous. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Preno mentions that caveat, Sam, and we'll go on to discuss that later in the podcast, but he's also quite rightly mentioned James Rodriguez there, who was just absolutely on fire again, you know, got himself his first goal at Goodison Park and then in the second half he just turned it on. Some of his passes were absolutely exquisite, weren't they? Yeah, I think uh, I think I genuinely love Hammers more than my own family. In, <laughs> in a lot of cases, like, what a man. Um, just, just obviously, as, as Preno was saying, it's, it's really a thing that Everton are lucky to have him or anything like that because we should have the, the best players in the world, but it's been so refreshing for me to have him, Decorde and Allen after now what feels like, I think, five, six seasons of signing players and them either being hit and miss or, or largely miss. And to have three lads who have all just came in and after two games, everyone everyone loves them. And, and Hammers is is the, the tip of the iceberg in that. He, he's, he is just completely... He, he's showing why he's played for Real Madrid, why he's played for Bayern Munich, why he was the World Cup top scorer. You know the technique needed to score that goal as well. I think is a little bit more difficult than uh, 
than maybe some people might appreciate as well. But it, it was those two passes, I think, wasn't it? The, um, that that he done in in the second half that are just phenomenal. And if he carries on playing, well, he's he's a fan favourite already, isn't he? But I can't wait to uh, I can't wait to be able to see him live and in the flesh. And and also, I'm excited for him to be able to experience Everton fans first hand because I just think he's the kind of player that'll get a proper buzz off that. And imagine if we get back in this season for a Man United game, a Man City game, a Chelsea game, and and there's some high stakes on it, and and he's pulling the strings, then it'll be a there'll be a few Hammers Rodriguez songs getting getting dished out. And to be honest, I, I've went and stocked up on about forty bottles of Echo Falls. So I'm just gonna, <laughs> I'm just gonna keep taking them to him after every game, just just keep them well stocked. <laughs> uh, well. Uh, match of the day, we're obviously very happy with uh, James Rodriguez, and it, it feels good to be watching match of the day. I have to say, after a hiatus almost for most of the last season of not being able to watch it, it's been good to be able to to watch it both times at the start of this season. But they were saying, uh, Connor, that James Rodriguez has come in and he's brought a perfect blend to Everton's front three. He's obviously bringing different qualities to the team, but they're all as important as each other. Do you agree with that? Yeah, you'd have to you'd have to agree with that. I think you look at what what we've done certainly from an attacking point of view since he's come in. You know, you, you look on. I think the big thing for me on, on Saturday was we could have won by more than five. We could have, we could have scored more than five. I think you know you look at the, the Richarlison goal that was obviously he was offside. He just straight offside. But well, what a finish that was! Uh, and these are the few other chances we had where you think you know we, we could have possibly scored seven or eight. Which again, you know, Sam was saying earlier about you no. Know, Looking at the likes of Alan and the core in midfield, it's been a long, long time since Evertonians have genuinely come away from looking at a game and thought, "Wow, we could have scored more than more than five. I mean, so even last week at Spurs, we had chances, and I think that's the big thing is that it, 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 it's seemingly that we are creating more chances now when we're getting better attacking areas, and a lot of that is down to you know James Rodriguez. I think you look at the, the goal, Calvert-Lewin's second goal, where the ball over the top from him just cuts cuts to West Brom defence. In half, that's that's just pure class, you know. That's plays at the, the top level can only do that, and that's what we've got at the minute. We've got a top level player, and the, the the aim now is to kick on and, and score and start scoring more of our chances because we're certainly certainly going to create with, with Hamez pulling the strings. Mm. I mean, Prano, we've got five minutes into this podcast after yeah. five Everton win. With and we haven't mentioned our, the hat trick here. One of our players scored the hat trick, and we have not mentioned. <laughs> I was just going to say exactly that. Yeah, no, I mean. Th- he deserves absolutely tons of credit. Well, what I love about Calvert Lewin is his demeanour after games like that and after performances like he produced at Tottenham. Um, he's humble and he makes it clear that he wants to learn. He wants to make the very best of himself that he can be. And he's got the perfect mentor in that. I mean, I don't mean Duncan, because obviously Duncan's doing lots of work with him anyway. But I mean Carlo Ancelotti. And to hear him talk on Match of the Day, like you say, about Insagi and uh, about one-touch finishes and how he actually reeled off a statistic that Insagi had scored was a you know two hundred goals, uh, of which one hundred and seventy or one such finishes it was something like that. It was a, you know it was great to know that he'd actually you know had it down to that level of detail, and um, he's trying to encourage Dominic Calvert Lewin to do exactly the same, um, and he's learning. He clearly is. He's getting better and better all the time. And I noticed you know the papers today, uh, the national newspapers are all rabbiting on about you know so how he needs and deserves an England call up, uh, and that wouldn't be uh, unjustified if he continues with the you know, rate of progression that he's shown. He's a bit of an anomaly as well, uh, you know. For us Evertonians, 
he's a proper Everton centre forward because he's good in the air, but he's not just decent in the air. He runs the channels well. He holds the ball up brilliantly. He's got, you know, pretty much the complete skill set uh, for a forward. But modern football now, you don't tend to get that many uh, strikers that are also very, very good aerially, uh, but can also do things on the floor. So he's got all of that. So we could get better and better and better. I mean, at the moment, he's four goals. You know, he's a joint top scorer in the, in the Premier League. And he said himself he wants to get better. So, you know, he's, he's become integral now, you know, so it's, it's the club's future. In the past, you'd have thought, well, you know, play him for a few games, leave him out for a few games. But not at the moment. You know, he's actually progressing all the time. And we've said this in the past that, you know, to me, he reminded me a lot of uh, Graham Sharp when he came through who was very raw, who lacked a lot of confidence in his early days. And even you know, prior to that 84-85 season, he wasn't a nailed-on starter. He wasn't even a nailed-on starter at the start of that season. It was Adrian Heath and Andy Gray. Uh, but he just suddenly flourished. He just suddenly developed. And you can sense something similar happening with uh, Calvert-Lewin. He's just starting to mature now and develop into something really, really effective. So, yeah, long may I continue. You know, OK, Hammers is the guy that we all swooned over at the weekend. But, you know, please don't do that at the expense of Calvert-Lewin because he was excellent also. Well, I mean, it was something that I picked up on after the game was that, you know, you look at Calvert-Lewin's hat-trick and, you know, it's not going to get into any sort of YouTube compilations yeah. of the best goals of the Premier League era. And, you know, it's pr- pretty... Simple finishes all round, but he's in the right place at the right time. He's getting into those central areas that Carlo Ancelotti last season was saying to him, you need to be in there for when we create chances. And Connor, I suppose this shows uh, that progression that Preno's talking about with uh, with uh, Calvert-Lewin, doesn't it? You know, a couple of years ago, he would have been running the channels and he would have been uh, in, in the wrong places, essentially, by the time James Rodriguez and Richarlison, Luca Dean, etc., were creating these chances for him. But now... He's the man in the middle. He's right there and he's getting the rewards for it, isn't he? Yeah, he absolutely is. And I think the, the big thing for me on, on Saturday with Calvert-Lewin's hat-trick was there were three goals that a typical goal scorer would, would score in terms of, you know, a couple of yards out, bundle the ball over the line. But it doesn't really matter because the only thing that matters is the you name on the score sheet, which is exactly what for, I think, you know, over the last couple of seasons, Everton's been quite critical of before he's not gone on the score sheet as as often as probably what, what some would have wanted. But I think what you say there about like running the channels, I think the beauty of Calvert-Lewin now is he's almost become, he's not as kind of work, hard work for the team. He's become more selfish from a, a centre-forward point of view. And because of that, he's reaping the awards by scoring goals. You know, two years ago, you, you probably would have seen them chasing down the full-back, you know, Harrison, Harrison somewhere in midfield. Now he's kind of very disciplined in the sense of he stays central. He, he's, he's become a proper centre-forward. And, that for me is only down to the way Carlo Ancelotti's done with him because it's 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 only for me since December where really we've seen the we've seen that type of Calvert Lewin flourish and really kick on and you know if, if that's what kind of if Carlo's done in what ten months at the club then you know if he gets two years under him working working on a full time basis he, he really could kick on and like trying to lose it too early he could get even better and better and an England call up will probably be the, the least he deserves the way he's going because. At, at the minute, he's certainly one of the shining lights of the Premier League. Mm. And Sam, I know we don't want to get ahead of ourselves, of course, but it is four goals in the first two games for Calvert-Lewin now. What kind of target would you be setting Calvert-Lewin if you were Carlo Ancelotti? Would you be telling him to get 20 goals this season in all competitions? Or would you be just saying, go and, go and score as many as you want? Or I mean, what, what, what would you be saying to him? Not getting ahead of ourselves. think you've got to be looking at Dixie's 60, haven't you? <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna have a good go this season. Um, 
20 sounds about right, doesn't it? I think Carlo, did Carlo set Richarlison a, a 30 goal target last season? So, you know, if you if you think Calvert Lewin and Richarlison roughly scored the same last season, he's got four goals in two games. Why, why not go and um, get 20? But what I like about Calvert Lewin is that all he was missing from his, goal, his game was goals. And, you know, it's, it's easy enough to say for a, a striker because goals are the hardest thing to. To, to find nowadays in the Premier League, but now he, he's getting them on a on a regular basis. What else I liked was that he finished the season on a bit of a uh, on a bit of a dry spell. And I think could have been the potential there for that to to get into his head a little bit. But you know, clearly he's, he's came back with the with the confidence to, to to just be in those positions. You know what I mean? And you know, he used to come away from the games saying he had a great game because he ruffled defenders up or ran the channels and stuff. And now you're saying he's had a great game because he's He's going home with the match ball. So, um, you know, I, I remember saying um, it was when me and you went to the Man United game when Ferguson was the, the caretaker manager and then saying there was the potential there for him to be, become uh, Everton's Harry Kane. And I remember um, I remember someone, I think he was a Liverpool fan, tweeting me to say what a what a crazy shout that was. But I think that there's, there is that thing of, you know, a little bit of a, a late bloomer in some respects, but... You know he's he's young and he's he's he just knows where the back of the net is. I think and you know I've got I've got confidence in him that he can that he can keep this little this little purple patch going. So you know we we could be talking about a striker who him and Richards and hopefully will be on you know ten around ten or fifteen goals by Christmas or, or you know and, and and can keep kicking on because this team looks like it's got goals in it and you know they're, they're going to be getting proper service now, which is something they haven't done uh, they haven't had for for a long time. I think it's good to see that the team does certainly have goals in it. But as you mentioned before, Prenna, the caveat is that it, especially in the first half of uh, Saturday's game, it looked like there were goals to be conceded there as well. You know, the, we had a shaky moment between Mina and Pickford in that first minute yeah. of the game, which allowed them to have a shot. Uh, they obviously took the lead. They hit the post shortly afterwards as well through Jake Livermore as well. Could have been 2 0 at that point. You know, there's, there's still some issues to be ironed out in that defence, aren't there? Oh, definitely. I mean, um, but Carlo's addressing them already. I mean, uh, he spoke afterwards about uh, Yerry Mina's performance and having bigged him up at Tottenham. He described his performance as average at the weekend. And that was, you know, dis- that was a pointed uh, comment because those problems that were caused in the first half, there was a little bit of a lack of balance in midfield. Uh, but they seem to all come down. That's that same, you know, West Brom's left-hand channel, Everson's right, and seem to be like, I don't know, just... Uh, not play, it's not concentrated. Seamus Coleman was great, I thought. He was like the old Seamus Coleman at the weekend. Uh, but, you know, Yerry Mina wasn't as switched on alongside him as maybe he might have been. Certainly didn't close down Diangana quickly enough, you know, so for the opening goal. And so, you know, Ancelotti's right uh, to highlight him. And it points out as well the deficiencies that we have in that part of the pitch. You know, we know we've got very little uh, cover and basically we've got to play the players that we've got there at the moment. And uh, I dearly hope that we do bring somebody else in before the other transfer window. Uh, but okay, there were issues, but Carlo is not oblivious to them. You know, he's looking at them, he's making the players aware of them, and they're working on them. So, you know, you can trust them, I think, to try and iron out those problems. So it wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but like I said earlier, you know, you win five two and you're not perfect. Yeah, I'll take that most weeks. I think Connor, as Preno alludes to there, you know, Everton do have a need to get a trans uh, a centre back in and still in the remaining two weeks of this transfer yeah. window, do you think? maybe Saturday's performance kind of highlighted that a little bit more? Yeah, I think it did. And I think it maybe would have pushed 
Carlo into asking Marcel Brands and, and Farhad and, and the board about the possibility of bringing someone else in because I think you look at it was a little bit ropey at times and it, it certainly wasn't I, I, what you'd want ideally from your centre-half in, in terms of what you'd been produced for, uh, throughout. And I think as well, the big issue, I think what Carlo wants is he wants competition. He'll want someone there who he knows he can bring in if, if either Michael Keane or Yerimina, you know, drop below the required standards and they're not scared to to make the chop. I think, you know, he's, any football managers do always talk about complacency and, you know, some players thinking that the the, the shoe-ins. And I think at the minute, one of the problems I've got the back is it's, it's me and Keane pretty much now for the, certainly for the next few weeks. So I think Carlo will have probably looked at that on Saturday and A, thought, will this further strengthen we need to bring someone in, but also B, so they know that they've got to perform to the required standard each week and they can't have off weeks because they'll simply be replaced. Because I think you look at the team now, the, the, okay, people still talk about the strength and depth and stuff like that. But Carlo can make changes. He can alternate and he can, you know, bring people in if if them play, if a start 11 aren't performing. So I think it's only at the back now where he can't. And I think he looks certainly look to address that in, in the next two weeks. And, I think you'd be a little bit disappointed if we don't manage to bring someone in. To be fair, now I think the, the, the Saturday highlighted why we do need to bring someone in. Hopefully, that someone does come in sooner rather than later. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. And Sam, I've saved this one for you with your goalkeeping pedigree, of course. Jordan <laughs> uh, got a bit of stick at the weekend for his performance. Now I've mentioned obviously that lack of communication sort of thing with Mina. At the start, I think his distribution was just a bit off in those first few minutes, but he's picked up a, lot, a bit of criticism for both of the goals uh, from fans on social media. But we were discussing on Saturday, and we don't we don't personally agree with that, do we? No, I don't think so. I think tough one for Pickford at the moment because I do feel like he's getting a little bit of a thing of I think some people just just want to find fault, and, and you know, you've got a, the, the first one. I understand how people could you know the, maybe on the telly and the camera angles and stuff, but. You know, it's 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 it's, it's rocketed into into the corner, and you know it it would have been a magnificent save to to have saved her. And then the second one is a free kick in the top corner, which Mina has for some reason kind of not thrown his head at. You know, as a six foot four lad standing in the wall was was more disappointing for me. And I think seeing people saying like he pulled his hand away, but I think some it's a it's a it's a natural reaction. When you're flying through the air and you know you're not going to get a ball, sometimes to 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 do that, however weird it it might look, but there's no way anyone is saving is saving that second one. So, you know, I thought Pickford was a contender for man of the match in the Tottenham game. You know, he made two saves, a vital moments, which if he hadn't done, it would have been a same old Everton performance where we would have went away, played quite well, and got beat two 0 or two one or or worse. Um, so I had no problems with either goal. And I thought in general he, he had a, he had a good game. So yeah, I, I think two two games in for Pickford, I think is is, is fine. But I, I do think he's got to the stage where people are going to look at him probably every game this season, and that's a burden that he has to deal with because you know he probably knows himself. The last eighteen months haven't been haven't been good enough for what Everton expects from a number one and what England probably expect from a number one. Even though saying that he he, he was very good for England uh, last time out, so. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm happy with him so far. I was made up for him uh, against Tottenham to to have had that sort of game. So hopefully he can he can push on now. 
as you know, I'm a, a big Jordan Pickford fan, but I'll, I'll take exception with a little bit of that, Sam, because the second goal, no chance. I mean, the second goal is an absolute worldie that goes into the top corner, and it's just it's ridiculous to even suggest that he could have stopped that. But the scrutiny on goalkeepers in modern football now is so intense, and it goes back, I think, to you know, a few years. I remember at the Anfield derby, the Phil Jagielka, you know, ridiculous equaliser when Liverpool scored with a free kick, and no one not spotted it at the time. But Gary Neville highlighted it on Monday Night Football. Tim Howard was jumping up and down on his line before the free kick, and he was actually in mid-jump, if you like, you know, so in the air when the ball was struck, and as a result, you know, took like a split second to land and then couldn't take off quickly enough to get to the, uh, the free kick. And it seemed like harsh criticism, but that's the way football is now. Uh, people are always looking for something uh, you know, sort of try and blame a goal on. Now, at the weekend, obviously, I was watching it on television. That first goal, your natural instinct when you see the goal go in, I thought, oh, wow, could Jordan have done better with that? And you look at it again, and it seems to be within reach, and he maybe didn't anticipate it. Should he be anticipating the shot of that quality from that range? I don't know. There was just a slight doubt in my mind. And then I watched it over and over again. And then I came to the same conclusion that you've come to. No, he wasn't to blame. But, you know, initially the uh, the thought was there in my head. But he's going to have to accept that because he's the England goalkeeper as well as the Everton goalkeeper. So he is going to be scrutinised to the nth degree. And he didn't start the game well. I mean, it was a poor back pass, to be fair, that put him under pressure initially. But his footwork is normally so good. That wouldn't normally be an issue to him. And he just seems to lack concentration and, you know, spooned it up in the air rather than just volleying it down the pitch. But that's just a concentration issue, which we've always said that, you know, he has had problems with and we thought he was overcoming. But all in all, no, no issues with, you know, Pickford's general performance. He was okay. I mean, I think Preno and Sam make a good point there. They can't read about, you know, the scrutiny that especially Pickford picks up, you know, not just being England's number one, but because of, the form that he's had for Everton over the past few months, you know, there's a lot of debate going around about his future and, you know, like uh, his, his time as Everton's uh, number one. But is that something that he should expect, you know, to be to be scrutinised for every single little detail that happens in each game? Or should should he just be allowed to, you know, go through games naturally as, you know, all the, as all the players in the squad might? Yeah, I, th- I think it's a little bit of both because I, I agree with what Prenno said earlier about the scrutiny of, of you know, Playing in the Premier League now, I think you look at the the way you know certainly Sky and other TV companies operate now. It, it's it's almost in depth, you know, the coverage and it's every it's every small second is analysed to the to the max. But I think with Jordan Bickford, I think that there is a little bit of a for for some reason people seem to just be waiting, waiting and hoping that he, he does kind of mess up so people can jump on him and and, and give him a, a good kicking. I think. Some of the scrutiny certainly he's received has been a little bit harsh, and you kind of do feel at times that maybe he's been a little bit, almost maybe victimised because you know obviously people take into consideration. Obviously, you know he had his his instance at Newcastle, didn't he? And you know there's, there's been people who other instance where you see him and he doesn't exactly come across in a good light in some people's eyes. And I think some people just you know they take that literally and, and carry that forward and you know they, they still kind of they, they're just so quick to jump on them at the smallest you know almost the smallest thing and I think the problem with Pickford now is is that I think whenever Everton can see the goal people instantly look to see if he could have done better I think you know certainly on Saturday I, the, the, the second goal that was just a wonderful free kick <laughs> it was brilliant you know it was the kind of goal where if it you know obviously if if he just scored that in a game where your team's not playing he'd have probably collapsed and said oh Great strike, son. Well, well done. 
yeah, you know, you go on Twitter within a couple of seconds of that goal going in, and there's this every other tweets, you know, Jordan Pickford could have done better. He could never have done better. <laughs> it was it was brilliant. So I think that the issue that we've got now is that every goal that there, there seems to be quick to jump on Jordan Pickford's and question whether he could have done better. Sometimes that's just not the case. Sometimes goal, goal, goals are just really, really good. And I think the only way for, for Pickford to certainly shut up the critics is to produce performances like he did against Tottenham. And people, you know, surely but surely soon, you know, realise that he's a top goalkeeper and he deserves a lot more credit and a lot more praise than what he gets at this moment in time. All right, good chat, lads. Uh, we'll move on. And Everton are back in action, of course, on Wednesday. Fleetwood away in the League Cup. It's going to be... Uh, a pretty tough fixture, I think, this one, Preno. Uh, would you make 10 changes again? Uh, I wouldn't know. I mean, um, I, I advocated sweeping changes before the other last round. I wanted to see an entirely new team, and that's exactly what we got, well, bar Michael Keane. But Fleetwood, obviously, they're a division higher uh, than Salford were. Um, they've not started the season well. I mean, they've had the body, but I think you conceded two goals in time added on at the weekend, uh, so they'd be reeling from that. But, you know, Joey Barton with his history with Everton, you know, he'll be desperate to try and uh, get one over. And it is going to be trickier. So, bearing in mind that Crystal Palace, you know, is hot on the heels again and it's going to be a tough game given the way they've started the season, I'd still try and make a large number of changes, but maybe not an entire starting 11. Well, we can't make an entire starting 11 because we haven't got two centre-backs. So, you know, they may have to stay the same. Uh, other than that, I would certainly change both full-backs again, maybe the goalkeeper again. Uh, the midfield we can probably do. But I'd be inclined to maybe leave Richarlison in. And I know he's so important to us and I know he works so hard, but he's desperate to score a goal at the moment, isn't he? You can tell out the weekend. And he was so unfortunate not to do so. And, you know, maybe just give him 45 minutes. Just just make this, the side a little stronger than it was in the previous round. I mean, that should be enough to get a win, you know, even at a League One side. I mean, the players that played in the previous round, you know, we're talking World Cup semi-finalists, England internationals. You know, there's, there's a lot of quality in that second string, which we've not been able to say in the past. You know, in the past, we've picked, you know, uh, second string teams for Carabao Cup games. I'm thinking of the one at Leeds where we had like Francisco Junior and you know other players playing and end up going out. Um, this team that we played last week looked to me like it had loads of quality in it and like a number of players that are trying to make um, you know the managers sit up and take notice. So I think we can do that again. We can make a large number of changes, but maybe not quite as many. Maybe six or seven this time and just leave a core running through there which should be enough to get us through and then you know as we've said before it's you know, a home tie in the next round without getting ahead of ourselves against the West Ham or Hull again sides that you know we, we could be beating and we're in the quarterfinals then you know so don't take too many chances yeah I think that's a good point Preno mate isn't it Sam you know obviously you don't want to get too ahead of yourself but you can't help but look at that potential next round fixture and think to yourself well any home tie was going to be a benefit to us but a home tie against you know West Ham who have had you know a really difficult start of the season they're going to keep continue to have a difficult start of the season with their fixtures Hull City who've just got relegated as well themselves you know they're trying to build their confidence back up again you know if Everton can beat Fleetwood then you know there's a real opportunity in this competition really isn't there? Yeah, it's got to be, hasn't it? I think we've we've been unlucky with cup draws over the last few years, but we'll definitely be happy with a with a win over Fleetwood and, and wins over West Ham. And I think I think Carl alluded to it, but I also think that at the end of the day, the team that beat uh, Salford City, you know, no disrespect to anyone, but that, that team should be good enough to also beat Fleetwood, and it should also be good enough to beat West Ham or or Hull at the end of the day. So it's a good chance to to keep rotating. 
uh, you know, to 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 keep lads happy, to keep lads um, with, with with the faces either in the in the window to to show what they can do and and, and force the way into the team, or or ultimately for for someone to come in, you know, and, and maybe make a bid or a loan bid or whatever our our plans are for them at the moment. So yeah, I think it is it is quite exciting, really. I think um, you know. Probably the only ones like you've got maybe Moise Keane and Gilfie Sigurdsson who are probably closest to, you know, trying to get in the team in, in at some point this season. You know, the the rest, you know, you do wonder when the likes of, um, you know, we couldn't form. When will Tom Davis get get back into this team? You know, Theo Walcott. Um, it's 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 going to be tough for them, but that's what these competitions are are there for, and and they're more than good enough to to get us to hopefully, you know, the quarters, the semi-finals, and ultimately that, that would then be when Carlo would have to make a decision of, you know, do I bring Allen back in, do I bring Calvert-Lewin back in, do I bring Piff, Pickford back in, but, um, you know, again, can't get ahead of ourselves, got to gotta get over uh, Fleetwood before I start checking out trains to Wembley and, and getting me ticket. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as Sam mentions there, Connor, you know, Fleetwood's a, you know, a well-organised team, they got themselves to the playoffs, last season. Joey Barton's got them set up quite well. This is going to be a difficult sort of game for Everton. So perhaps Carlo Ancelotti wouldn't want to make 10 changes again, but there's an argument among some supporters that, you know, Everton should play a fairly strong team. As Preno says, you know, maybe Richarlison gets 45 minutes, let's say, win the game by half-time and then you make your changes and then you give players opportunities to uh, to prove themselves in the second half. Would you subscribe to that sort of theory or would you just say, like, from the start, you know, make the changes now and if we need them, bring bring the big players on later on? No, I, I agree with the, the, the theory of trying to keep a core of, of your first team uh, talent in, in the starting lineup and start strong. I think sometimes making too many changes can, can send the wrong message and some players don't, it doesn't quite work out the way people hope in terms of you know, the 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 oh, we'll, we'll, we'll make changes. We always bring other people on. Sometimes that doesn't work, and I think you see that a lot in a lot in football where teams make wholesale changes and then they're making three subs in in, in a bit to try and get back in the game, and it never works. I I, I agree with what Penel says. Although I think you know, keep keep a core and make changes here and there, and we still should have enough to win the win the game. I think you know, if if we're if we're being serious about winning cup competitions, you, these are the games you've got to get you've got to get past. I think you know too many times in the past Everton have, have kind of developed this this hurdle, this type of this type of occasion, uh, and, and that can't happen because I know we, we don't want to get too carried away, but this is a really good chance for Everton to get to the quarterfinals, and I think you know more than ever this season the Carabao Cup for Everton could be dynamite because I think you look at you know certainly from October onwards once the Champions League starts for the, the clubs at the top and the Europa League starts, the fixture backlash they're going to have Everton you know. Provided they get through Fleetwood and they they you know, they they book a place in the quarterfinals, they they really could they could go strong while they're having to rest place because it's just another game that they don't want. So I think Everton have got to they've got to go certainly strong from the off, put down a marker and, and show that they mean business. And you know, like we we say, you know, home side to West Ham versus Hull to place in the quarterfinals is what you'd be dreaming of. And you know, this is this is a really good opportunity I think for Everton to. to Certainly, have a good run at the cup, uh, a, a cup competition this season. And I don't think Carlo will be taking that lightly anyway. I don't think he's the type of bloke who will be who'll be going in there kind of blindfolds. I think he knows he'll know what to expect, and he'll certainly be setting his team up to to combat a, a tough, 
tough Joey Barton Fleetwood side because he'll have his side bang up for it because he'll want the scalp and he'll he'll want the you know the big knife for his side even though no the sky cameras are there it's they, they they can smell what could potentially happen and Everton have got to be professional make sure they don't they don't fall victim to another one of them them occasions They've started the season well, Fleetwood too. I know I suggested that they got they got beat at the weekend at Peterborough, conceded two in time added on. But prior to that, they'd won four in a row, five in a row, I think it was. Uh, you know, three home games in a row. So, you know, they're on a bit of a roll. They've got a bit of momentum behind them. And maybe that result at the weekend was a legacy of maybe looking ahead at this, you know, cup tie. Sky television cameras are going to be there. They're going to be really up for it. So, you know, it's, it's going to be tough. You know, so Everton will have to be focused. But Carlo's got this great record, hasn't he? Uh, I don't want to tempt face here. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not even going to say it. No, just <laughs> it's, it's, it's going to be tough. <laughs> let's, just, uh, let's just get the job done. We, uh, I mean, we, owe, we owe them for season as well, don't we? The, uh, he knocked us out of the, is it the EFL trophy for the first, yeah. the first time we've ever qualified from the... The under twenty threes are qualified from the group stage, and Boy Barton there uh, and knocked us out after after that one. So I think Carlo's going to have that on his mind, and he'll just be saying the changes. Do it for do it for David Unsworth. Do it for Rhino. Question for everyone though: How much do we think fitness will be playing on Carlo Ancelotti's mind? Obviously, with what's going to be a really tough game away to Crystal Palace coming up at the weekend as well. Now, without really having a pre-season, you know, we've had. You know, players have had 90 minutes, maybe a pre-season football under their belts On for most cases. Like, you know, how, how much does that play into Carlos thinking? You know, he doesn't really want to be risking injuries either, does he? No, he's, uh, it comes right at the forefront of his thinking. I mean, uh, they obviously they analyse players' performances now using all level, all manner of sports science. I mean, Seamus Coleman was talking in his interview uh, that you carried uh, at the weekend about, you know, his speed levels are at the same as they were before is, is bad injury. Um, you know, so all these things are monitored. So they will know players that are running the risk of maybe tweaking a hamstring or, you know, sustaining an injury. And it was, it was a worry, to be honest, to see Calvert-Lewin putting an ice pack on his, uh, on his hammy uh, when he came off at the weekend. Fortunately, he moved okay after that. But yeah, all these things will be at the forefront of uh, the manager's mind. Uh, and that's why he probably will make you know, a significant number of changes. Like I say, hopefully not as many as the Salford game, but I think there'll be a, a fair chunk with exactly that in mind. It's a quick turnaround. You know, it's only two and a half days later that we're in action at Crystal Palace. Uh, so yeah, you've got to take that into account, absolutely. All right, lads. It's time for a customary, customary <laughs> prediction. <laughs> I don't think anybody got 5-2 at the weekend, to be honest. Uh, Sam, we'll start with you. Give you give you first shot at this. Cast about not going too far ahead of ourselves. And I think you all know me that I'm one of the most pessimistic Evertonians out there. So <laughs> I'm going to go for, for a cool 6-1. I think we've... Oh my God. <laughs> I, think, I think this is the game where Moise Keane just explodes and he just, just goes right. mad. Like... Like, like the whole channel to get a bit of marvel. Sam, I was with you then. It all sounded realistic until you said Moise Keane explodes. And I thought, hey, come on, you've gone too far now. 6-1, six, six wow. Moise Keane, Atrich. If you want to throw a few bets on, you're there to the affair. Well, you're winning loads of money for that, I'll, I'll have to say. Uh, Connor, on your predictions debut, what are we going for? I'm going to go for a, a lot more level-headed 3-1 Everton victory. I like that. I like that. I'm going to go for an even more conservative 2-0 clean sheet Everton victory. Uh, just a professional job, get the game won and then just see it out. Uh, that'll do me nicely. 
Uh, I think in that case, I will go for I'll go for a three nil. I'll go in the middle of you and Connor. I did text Gav for his prediction, by the way, considering he's probably still top of our predictions. We well, Gav's got yeah. spot on, hasn't he? Well, not spot on at the weekend, obviously. But we'll... yeah, they, two nil to us. No worries was his exact oh, response. Well. So <laughs> he's a confident man. He's a confident man. <laughs> not, not glad to hear it. Well, I think we're all confident, uh, aren't we? Thanks to Everton, the start of the season. And fingers crossed it can continue into Wednesday's game. Uh, that's all from us today. We'll be back later in the week to discuss what happened against Fleetwood and to look ahead to Everton's match against Crystal Palace coming up on the weekend. Uh, remember to rate and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter. If you want to get involved in the conversation, ask us any questions ahead of the next podcast, then please please do so. Uh, You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.